On July 19, 1969, John Fairfax became the first man to cross the Atlantic Ocean on a rowboat. This was not something entirely unexpected. Fairfax led a fairly interesting life. He was born to an English father and a Bulgarian mother. He was expelled from the Boy Scouts for resolving an argument by firing a gun into a hut that other scouts were sleeping in at the time. When he was 13, he and his mother moved to Brazil, where he lived, quote, like Tarzan, swinging through the trees, hunting animals, and selling their furs to local tradespeople. At the age of 20, he decided he no longer wanted to live, and that he would commit suicide by jaguar. He kept a revolver on him just in case he changed his mind at the last minute. He did, shooting the jaguar dead, skinning it, and making a pretty penny off of his attempted suicide. After that, he jaunted off to Panama, where he decided to become a pirate's apprentice. And then, to soothe his mother's anger, after he became a pirate's apprentice, he decided that he would manage a mink farm. Which is to say that on January 20th, 1969, when he hopped on to his deluxe rowboat, the Britannia, and decided that he was going to row across the Atlantic, it was one of the more normal decisions that he had made in his life. When he came aboard the coast of Florida on July 19, 1969, the 180th day he had been at sea, a tan, tired Mr. Fairfax decided to announce to the assembled group there waiting for him that the whole thing was, and I quote, bloody stupid. It was a fairly small group that met him. You see, Mr. Fairfax didn't count on something. He arrived in Florida on July 19th, 1969. And on July 20th, 1969, man landed on the moon. The wildly, ludicrously, maddeningly impressive feat of rowing across an entire ocean by oneself was completely overshadowed by something much, much bigger. And even though the Apollo astronauts even sent him a congratulations, the general public was, well, incredibly distracted. Sometimes things come along which can divert attention from even the most important events, like, I don't know, hurricanes. This is the show. I'm singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feel, and I'm happy again. I'm laughing at clouds so dark. Welcome. To Republican in Exile, a half-hour exercise in self-torture, where I, your rapidly collapsing host, attempts to power through another week, or three, of shit that fires out of Washington like a fire hose that's been plugged into the city's sewer line. Come on with the rain, I have a smile on my face. I'm Matthew Hedge, and this week we're going to be going over a series of really mortifying stuff that has left me oh so frustrated... And caused me to drink heavily. Speaking of which, this week, I'm having brandy. When our dear friend, uh, Mr. Fairfax, decided he was going to row across the entire ocean, he brought with him three things. Spam, oatmeal, water, and of course, brandy. You might be asking yourself, isn't that four things? And you'd be right. I started talking too quickly. I forgot the water. Oh boy. Oh, God, that stuff's awful. Oh, that was a terrible idea for me and for him. 
That sound you are valiantly attempting to ignore is the fact that my voice is echoing like crazy. Yeah, we're, uh, we're recording from a new location. It's, uh, it's causing some problems. Don't worry, we're going back to the normal one next week, hopefully. The song, on the other hand, is the classic Gene Kelly, Singing in the Rain. A uh, song that is wildly inappropriate for me to play in the aftermath of two deadly hurricanes. But for some reason, I'm doing it anyway. Gosh. Hmm. Bad taste, Matt. Bad taste. If this is your first time listening to us, I was once a loyal member of the Republican Party, and then Donald Trump got elected president, and, well, like a hurricane, everything's sort of been left shattered and destroyed in my heart. Now I'm adrift, lost, on the verge of complete and utter destruction, and I'm just trying to figure out what it's like now that I'm forced to be a Democrat? Ugh. God, that's terrible. Every once in a while, I realize he's still president and I'm still a Democrat, and it just makes me want to throw up all over the place on someone so that they can feel the disgust that I feel at the same time. Every week, we go over a list of things that have made me angry. Then we go over a singular outrage of the week, the thing that has made me angriest. And then we cap the whole thing off with some good news and a way for you to look smart next week. The song is getting very peppy, and we're going to cut it off in about five seconds so we can get started on this week's horrors. Chelsea Manning was briefly made and then unmade a visiting Harvard fellow this week in an act that made me audibly gasp when I read it. I shouldn't have been too surprised. Harvard's not exactly inviting the creme de la creme. Sean Spicer is also going to be a Harvard visiting fellow, but... There is a big difference between Sean Spicer and Chelsea Manning. One of them is an absurd, delusional liar. The other was the press secretary of the United States of America. Chelsea Manning was also convicted of several serious crimes under the Espionage Act, joining the ranks of Aldrich Ames, who spied for the Soviet Union, and Robert Hansen, who spied for the Soviet Union, and John Walker, who spied for the Soviet Union, and Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, who spied for the Soviet Union. I think you're getting the point here. Chelsea Manning released information to the general public that was never meant to be released and released it through WikiLeaks, that absolutely not Russia-affiliated organization that continues to do a lot of the dirty work for the Kremlin lately. I want to address the Chelsea Manning issue for a moment because it's driving me nuts. Number one, Let's point out the primary results of the leaks Chelsea Manning engaged in. Chelsea Manning leaked an enormous amount of footage, uh, internal military documents, and diplomatic cables to the public through the WikiLeaks organization. Here are the amazing revelations from those documents. Number one, the United States of America was forced to admit that it turned over Iraqi citizens that they arrested to the Iraqi government terrible. Number two, they were forced to admit additional civilian casualties from incidents where they had already admitted that there were civilian casualties. Number three, they had to pull out a number of agents in Afghanistan whose unredacted names were found in those files. None of them died, thank goodness, but we did have to pull them out of sensitive situations. Number four, we revealed to the world the dark secret that Iran and Pakistan were helping members of the Iraqi insurgency and Afghan insurgencies, which had widely been reported in both ABC and NBC News in previous weeks. 
Mostly what the Manning leaks did was release a large amount of embarrassing information about America's diplomatic system, what we really thought about leaders of foreign countries, individuals in various embassies, people who were willing to talk to the United States of America, pressure that was put on people. Um, There was a diplomat uh, in Uganda who was forced to flee the country because their name appeared in those documents. Not all that much happened in the end. However, Chelsea Manning did make a concerted effort to harm the American government and harm the United States military, which she had sworn to protect and defend. Nothing in those documents was clearly legal. The closest thing you get us on is turning Iraqi citizens over to the Iraqi government. There was a strong suspicion that individuals were being tortured and under various conventions were not allowed to turn prisoners of war over to individuals that may torture them. Kel Supriz. Manning was sentenced to 35 years in prison for her actions and, of course, got out after seven thanks to a commutation by Barack Obama. A commutation that was largely, apparently, due to the fact that the president didn't feel that Manning, as a transgender woman, was receiving proper care in military prison. Not because Manning really deserved to be out of prison, but because of certain medical conditions that needed to be taken care of. I don't think Chelsea Manning deserved to get out of prison. I think the United States government should have spent whatever money necessary to provide uh, the dishonorably discharged young woman whatever procedures needed to be done on the taxpayer's dime so that she could serve the rest of her natural life in prison. She violated the Espionage Act. She gave aid and comfort to America's enemies. She towed the line on treason, and she worked with Julian Assange, which was a pretty disgusting thing to do. The fact that Harvard would consider her a visiting fellow is kind of gross. Then again, that's a title they give to essentially anyone that comes to give a speech there. Chelsea Manning should speak at Harvard, and the Harvard student body should protest her vigorously in a peaceful manner while allowing her to speak. Speaking of college protests where people are trying to speak, conservative speaker Ben Shapiro spoke at University of Berkeley, California the other day. Uh, He managed to do so without major incident. This is because after the recent wave of violence in Berkeley relating to conservative speakers, the university spent $600,000 on security. You see, some months back when the right-wing provocateur troll Milo Yiannopoulos he of the pedophilia defending arguments, decided that he would speak at the University of Berkeley. The violence was such that the event had to be canceled. Things got lit on fire. There was violence between protesters and police. Uh, Antifa, anti-fascist movement, decided that they would attack essentially anyone that showed up to see this event. Uh, This is one of the great problems with justifying political violence. Uh, Once you say it's okay to punch Nazis in the face, anyone you decide is a Nazi gets to be punched in the face. Ben Shapiro is not a Nazi. He's not a white nationalist. His last name is Shapiro. He's an observant Orthodox Jew. But he is fairly conservative, and to some people that means he's a Nazi regardless. Uh, Ideas like that are how you get someone like Trump into office, when people can no longer differentiate between Nazi and just fairly conservative. They're willing to accept any variant therein as perfectly okay. Hillary Clinton is doing a book tour. Please don't. Please. Just please. Let's move on. The president has earned the ire of the prime minister of the United Kingdom, 
and most of the leaders of her cabinet after sending out a series of provocative tweets about the recent terrorist attack in the London subway system. The Prime Minister asked that he, frankly, shed his gob hole about the whole thing. If you'll recall, after the last terrorist attack in London, the British government stopped sharing information about terrorist attacks with the United States government because someone in the Trump administration leaked all of that to the public. And apparently the British security services were convinced that the president was part of the problem, which makes the British security services just like everyone else who can pay attention in America. The president on Twitter attacked an ESPN anchor, Jamel Hill, who tweeted on Monday that Donald Trump is a white supremacist and has largely surrounded himself with other white supremacists and would not be president if he were not white. While some of those things are arguable, although I might be inclined to agree with them, the last one is definitively and absolutely true. There is no way on God's great green earth Donald Trump could have gotten elected president if he wasn't white. Can you imagine Donald Trump as a black man? Donald Trump fits a number of pernicious and awful stereotypes about wealthy African-American men. His entire attitude, his insistence on draping anything in gold, the fact that he has five children by three different women. You don't think that would be turned against him if he wasn't, you know, a white guy? Pretty sure it would be. As a matter of fact, I can prove to you that if Donald Trump was black, he would not have won the Republican nomination, because a black version of Donald Trump did run for the Republican nomination in 2012. His name was Herman Cain. He didn't win. At one point in October, not only was Herman Cain the frontrunner for the Republican nomination, but he was leading President Obama in at least one matchup. That was a Rasmussen Report poll. But it still put Herman Cain, 43, Barack Obama, 41. Herman Cain led Iowa. He led in New Hampshire and South Carolina for the Republican primaries. And you know what happened? Herman Cain got caught up in a sexual harassment scandal and had to drop out of the race. Oh, gosh. See, when a bombastic businessman who's known for saying politically incorrect things is accused of sexual harassment, he always has to drop out of the race when he's black. I think that marks time for us to hear from our sponsors. Don't you go away. Oh, God, that stuff is still awful. I'm never drinking this again. Anywho, that brings us to the outrage of the week. And the outrage of the week was presaged by a storm. Trojan horse of a storm. You see, every once in a while, a politician will try and bury a bad news story for them on a Friday. Donald Trump didn't just bury some bad news for himself on a Friday. He tried to bury it under major news and a storm. While Hurricane Harvey was bearing down on the state of Florida late on a Friday night, Donald Trump did two things, one of which he knew was going to get a lasting impact and no storm was going to be able to draw attention away from, and the other he was hoping would get buried, and by this point it has been fairly well buried. We're not talking about it, the other one we are. The first is his decision to repeal DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, a program created by President Obama to avoid the deportation of individuals who were brought into America when they were children. Now, this program, in my opinion, is legally sketchy. 
The Congress is in charge of these things, and I think Congress should act. The reason Barack Obama created this program, though, is because Congress uh, doesn't know how to act. It hasn't been doing its job in a very, very, very long time, ceding more and more authority to the presidency that I think that they should seize back very, very quickly. The other thing that he did, the other major thing that he did, was that he issued a pardon for Sheriff Joe. Sheriff of the Maricopa County, Arizona jail system. Sheriff Joe is an awful human being. He should be in prison. He should be in prison for a lot of reasons, but mostly because he violated a court order. He was told by the courts he needed to stop a series of programs that were deliberately, on the surface, racial profiling, and he ignored them, and he laughed about ignoring them, and he told the public he ignored them. You cannot ignore the law, particularly when you're an individual who's in charge of enforcing the laws. If we just let people get away with not enforcing the law, with not following the law, we no longer live in a society. We live in an anarchistic state where there are some people that have legal permission to shoot others. So let's go over what exactly it was that Sheriff Joe Arapaio was doing that the courts were eager to get him to stop. Well, number one, he ran a jail that he publicly described as a concentration camp that had a significantly higher suicide rate than any other jail in the United States. Impressively enough, not only does he have more suicides, but there are more deaths that the county coroner does not list a cause of death on. 73 deaths over the course of three years where the county coroner could not find or did not want to list an exact cause of death. That's troubling, isn't it? His insistence that the sheriff's office focus solely on immigration issues meant that he didn't really uh, allocate many resources for, you know, other crimes, meaning that the Maricopa County system had the highest rate of unsolved sexual assaults in the county, even in circumstances where the individual who committed the assault was publicly known where they had returned a name. The Maricopa County Sheriff's Office didn't do the follow-up work to collect evidence that could have put those people behind bars. In one particularly galling case, a 26-year-old man impregnated a 12-year-old girl, a case that is solvable simply by a paternity test. But Sheriff Joe's office was a little too busy. You see, that week he was planning on marching all of the prisoners from his jail who were Latino, in pink sweatsuits into an electrified fence area for the media to show them how tough he was on crime. The man was an embarrassment. He was repulsive. He's a terrible human being. He sent deputies to Hawaii to look for Barack Obama's birth certificate, but couldn't investigate child molestation cases in his own county. And I haven't even gotten into my favorite story that was reported by the Phoenix New Times, the local newspaper, where he was found guilty of framing a man for attempting to assassinate him with a bomb. That's right. He was found guilty of that. They had the receipts. They could prove that Sheriff Joe was the one who purchased the bomb parts, and he had deputies put those materials in the man he was framing's house. He was found guilty, and several weeks later, he was re-elected. Seems like Maricopa County is actually a bit ahead of the curve for the rest of the United States. These sorts of antics, uh, they'd go over real well today, which is one of the reasons why it was so heartening 
that on the same night Donald Trump was elected, Sheriff Joe was voted out of office shortly after his conviction for violating court orders. And, of course, the President of the United States has decided that this man is deserving of a pardon, not just a pardon, but a pardon that was not checked over by the Justice Department as his procedure, and a pardon that had in no way, shape, or form the support necessary from lawyers. This is appalling. This is Donald Trump rubber-stamping the lunacy of Sheriff Joe for decades. It is appalling, it is horrifying, and it is the outrage of the last, well, three weeks. Let's move on to some good news. This week, Donald Trump decided that the best way to continue the operations of the government is to cut a deal with the Democrats. That's right. Pelosi, Schumer, Trump. They're apparently best friends now. They're planning on going swimming together by the old pool. They're going to row across the Atlantic Ocean in a boat and just become the best of friends. While Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell were not happy about this three-month debt limit extension deal, they are willing to go along with it because they are afraid of Donald Trump. They don't want to get yelled at. He apparently spits a little, and they don't think they can afford to get those kinds of germs on their bodies. On top of that, Nancy Pelosi apparently convinced Donald Trump to send out a tweet encouraging dreamers, those individuals who were protected under DACA, those people who came into the United States when they were minors illegally, Donald Trump assured them that no action would be taken until a six-month window was over to give Congress an opportunity to try and work out a law. That's a big get. Nancy Pelosi has the ability to control part of Donald Trump's Twitter account. That's, that's huge. Nancy Pelosi might be the most powerful person in American history right now. Or, you know, not. Still, big deal. And that brings us to how to look smart this week. This week, my idea You've got mail. Oh, holy Moses. I have email. Let's see here. Ah, this letter comes in from Lauren. Hello, Lauren. The letter reads, Please, for the love of all that is holy, please mention the Cheeto looking directly into the sun like a brain-damaged turkey. Oh, Lauren, thank you for reminding me that this happened while we were on our unfortunate and hopefully never repeated three-week hiatus. That's right. The President of the United States looked directly into an eclipse. Not the smartest thing he's ever done. Let's take a look at this from the most in-depth perspective we can, that of a middle school science teacher. You see, when you give people the glasses and you tell them to put them on, frequently the children won't do that. They will instead turn their eyes towards the sky and go, Ow! Ow! That hurts! Ow! I should have worn the glasses. The president didn't say those things, but the look on his face did indicate he felt it, and his mommy, I mean his wife, did manage to remind him he should put the glasses on. I am, however, going to give Baron and Melania A-pluses, for remembering basic safety procedures during an eclipse. Uh, It should be noted that the whole total solar eclipse passing over the entirety of the United States, two enormous hurricanes we were told would only happen once every 500 to 1,000 years, and the huge earthquake aren't really inspiring a lot of confidence in me that the world is not ending. Let's, um, Let's keep living. As I like to say. So I like to say it in a different way. You'll hear it in a minute. Thanks for the letter, Lauren. The Cheeto did look at the sun. It was amusing.
Well, look at that. It's going to bring us to the end of our show. It's a little bit early, but yeah. But I, I figure, you know, I didn't give you a show for three whole weeks, so I can afford to give you one that's only like 25 minutes along this week. Huh? That logic makes no sense. In a more serious note, uh, this unscheduled hiatus was not my choice. If I had my way, I would have given you 400 episodes in that time and just continually talked till you were so sick of me that you tried to fake an assassination attempt and had me thrown in prison on trumped-up charges. I know you would have enjoyed it. I would have, too, after I'd gotten over the rage. Uh, special thanks this week, of course, to my producer, Jonathan, who is oh-so-patient and very supportive. And, of course, to Acast. Remember, Acast, for all your podcasting needs, Acast, making good stories great. If you would like to contact us like Lauren did, we are R-I-E-Podcast at Gmail, R-I-E-Podcast on Twitter, Republican in Exile on Facebook. Send me your comments, your questions, your concerns, your queries. I promise to respond to your gibbering lunacy with gibbering lunacy of my own. Speaking of gibbering lunacy, I appeared on a couple more episodes of Hailing Frequencies, the Star Trek The Next Generation podcast. It was a heck of a good time. Uh, If you want to hear me be a happy human being, go ahead and check out Hailing Frequencies, wherever fine podcasts are podcasted. This is it for us at Republican in Exile. Uh, In the intervening week, uh, do your very best not to die. Dancing and singing in the rain.